So uh, this morning we're carrying on with the Jesus story. We were in Matthew 5 for what seemed like eternity. But now we're in Matthew 6, which is great. And I've got the immense pleasure of preaching on the Lord's Prayer, which is, um, as you can imagine, not a small topic. So apologies in advance. We'll see how we go. I'm going to rattle through um, this morning, but it might take a little while. We'll see. Um, It's one of those sections where I think there's kind of endless application and endless teaching. And I came to this conclusion when looking at the Lord's Prayer that I've been misunderstanding it my whole life. Uh, Not saying that I've completely got it now, but came to this point on, well actually late last night, uh, whilst banging my head against the desk, that I was actually getting somewhere with the Lord's Prayer and trying to understand a little bit of what Jesus is trying to do. And what he says that prayer is like. And as we read the whole section, I'm going to do it in bits and just make comments as we go. But it's almost, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's sandwiched between a couple of bits. There's a bit on giving. There's a bit on uh, praying hypocritically and giving in a hypocritical way. And then there's a bit about fasting in a hypocritical way afterwards. And the point Jesus is trying to make is, don't pray like this, don't pray like this. But what's in the middle, the meat in the sandwich, if you like, is how you're supposed to be praying, how you're supposed to be coming towards God. So this is what it says from verse 5 I'm going to read from. And I know that we covered part of this last week, but I just felt by it helps us understand the Lord's Prayer a little bit if we read the bit that is just before it. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You can picture it, can't you? They're at the street corners. Look at me. Look at how wonderful I am with my prayers. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Just by way of introduction, with prayer, with giving, with fasting, Jesus makes an assumption here that these are things we do. Not that they're optional extras. He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, the if word isn't there. And the just word, which Carl talked about last week, isn't there. Oh, just pray to your heavenly father. Just give to the kingdom of God. This is something that is huge. This is exciting. This is, uh, this is Jesus giving us a window of what it looks like to talk to God, of what it looks like to enjoy a relationship with him. And as I said, they're not optional extras. And he says, don't be a hypocrite. This isn't a competition. And you know, I get really wound up. Carl touched on a couple of these things last week. But I get really wound up with sermon prayers at tea time. You experience that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you've got to pray before you eat your food, right? But it's like this five-minute prayer and my food's getting cold. Anybody else experience this? And your food is on your plate and it's just taunting you. You're just like, come on, man. Just say amen and I can eat. And you actually start like, you know, as they're praying, you've got your eyes open, start nibbling discreetly because you're so hungry. When we are praying, it's not about that. It's not about a show. It's not about other people seeing, wow, that guy's got a wonderful language, the way that that person prays. We're not hypocrites. We have to be authentic. We have to be ourselves. We have to do short prayers before we eat food. Okay, that's not in there, but just saying it helps. Helps me pastorally. I'm sure it helped you. But our, our giving, our prayer, our fasting, which is what Jesus talks about here, is saying you cultivate your relationship with God in the quiet places. You go into your room, you shut the door. You pray, not just in public, like we've had public prayer this morning, but you pray when the door's closed. You pray when no one else sees you. 
when you fast, don't make it obvious that you're fasting. Don't pour ashes over your head and make yourself look gaunt. Wash yourself in the morning. Look clean. Look presentable so that people don't know you're fasting. When you give, don't announce it. I've given £100 to church, guys. £100 to church. Just so you know. Just wanted you to know, guys. I've given £100 this morning. Don't do it. Just give it. Don't announce. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be hypocritical with our public things. Because actually, the where our relationship with God is cultivated is in those quiet places. Is in the secret place. And actually, if I'm out the front here praying and talking about giving and fasting, and I'm not doing those things in the private place, I'm nothing more than a hypocrite. The things that we do publicly should not outshine the things that we do in private. It's a whole matter here of getting our hearts right before God. He goes on to say, when you pray, so this is another, he gives us a couple of not what to do's. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's why you have short prayers before you eat. It's in the Bible. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this isn't Jesus forbidding, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. Because sometimes we just don't have the words, do we? Sometimes we're stuck with, how can I express my gratitude to God? How can I tell him how thankful I am for all that he's done? But what Jesus means here is, don't babble. Don't just offer up words vainly, without meaning, without thought, without process, without our hearts. Our words aren't just worthless words. And actually, this can take the form of liturgies, you know, where we just say a liturgy and our mind and our heart isn't in it. We're just reading it. It can be the way that we said the Lord's Prayer when we're at school, you know, and we repeat a prayer. Well, actually, I think Jesus here would go, it's just vanity. Or it could be um, not engaging ourselves when, when we're meant to be praying. It could be all these new language, you know, I'm pressing in, I'm leaning in, I'm loving on. What are you talking about? Let's, let's get real, let's be authentic before God. We don't need buzzwords. We just need to be authentic before him. The more we say doesn't equate with us being heard. Jesus says here, God already knows what we want. And I want to say to us this morning as we're talking about prayer, that I don't want our focus to be on prayer, I want our focus to be on God. So often we get caught up and we, we stumble and we fall because we're focused on prayer, not the object of who we're meant to be talking to. We get so caught up with, what do I say? How do I say it? What will so-and-so think of me? Who cares? Talk to your dad. Focus on the Lord. Focus on God. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across here. Engage with God. And prayer is the means of communication with him. It's our comms. It's our, it's our way of talking to him. Saw a really bad poster. It's brand new. Uh, it's near my place of now work, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And it says, God's number isn't X directory. Try ringing him. Oh, I wanted to, I, I, I didn't go and rip the poster down. But that, that is why we have all these hang-ups on prayer. We think, well, what do I say? If I'm ringing God, how do, how do I do that? Maybe God is X directory. Maybe he doesn't want to hear from me. So Jesus gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I know that prayer can feel a little bit like a minefield with, oh, I'm no good at praying. I'm not eloquent or I don't know what to say. I don't know where to do it. Thankfully, Jesus gives us a little window here. So if you're one of those people, you struggle with prayer, 
The idea of you coming down here now and me giving you the mic and doing a public prayer fills you with fear and dread and trembling. Then listen up. Because Jesus gives us a window on what it looks like to talk to our Father. He gives us a window as to what prayer looks like. So that actually, coming down and speaking on a microphone wouldn't be a scary thing. That praying with the door shut wouldn't be a scary thing because it's about something more. It's not just what other people think. It's not about that at all. But it's about a relationship between us and the Father. Some of you here will like those little acronyms. You know, you've come across these like little prayer acronyms. You know, you have them for like other things. Like the one at school for me was frog. And the people used to go around with these frog bracelets on, you know, fully rely on God bracelets or WWJD bracelets. And the prayer one, people always, you know, I always hear it taught is, oh, how we should pray is we should pray with like acts. You know, we should remember that, that we should, a bit of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Well, what happens if you don't know what supplication means? You're stuffed. And actually, what happens if you can't remember what ACTS stands for? And actually, I think, although it can be helpful sometimes to remember, how, you know, the order in which the Lord's Prayer is put, I think it's unhelpful. Because I think it misses the point of what prayer is about. Because I think it's really simple. And I think we've, as a church, made the Lord's Prayer incredibly complex when actually I think there's one simple truth that Jesus wants to get across to us. You know, prayer is simpler than having to remember acts. It's simpler than having to pull out a yoga mat and pray to the east. It's simpler than, than having to do set things at set times. It's not about those things. It's about our heart. It's not a stale, stuffy experience. It doesn't have to be prayers from a book. It doesn't have to be reciting the Lord's Prayer even. I'm not sure that's what Jesus has in mind when he says pray like this. I'm not sure he has in mind that he expects people to be word for word copying him for generation and generation in every single prayer. If that was my only prayer, is, is that real? Is that authentic? Is that a relationship? What happens if my daughter was like that to me? You know, my father who lives in Thorndon Way, it's great to see you this morning. And a prayer was like that every single morning, you know, to her father and the way that she communicated with me. It just wouldn't be authentic. I mean, this week we had a, a bit of an incident on Tuesday. We ended up going to A&E. And it was one of those moments where we, we had a phone call from uh, 111, which incidentally, right, 111, they took 25 minutes to call back. It's not very good, is it? Anyway, uh, maybe, maybe that is good. Liam's saying it's normally four hours. So 25 minutes, maybe that's good. But um, they phoned back and they said, oh, it's Mrs. Gower, because it obviously it's not me, because I'm not a lady. Um, it's going to take quite some time for an ambulance to get to you. It'll actually be quicker for you to drive to hospital at rush hour. Didn't really think of that, did they? Anyway, so we drove, and I had one of those moments, you know in films where um, the lady's pregnant and the guy's driving and they're trying to drive to hospital as quickly as they can? I felt like that. It's like my son's in the back, he's not well. He wasn't breathing properly, he wasn't breathing very well, so obviously when you're not breathing, it's a bit of an emergency. So I'm driving like crazy. I've got Grace in the front screaming at me like, slow down, what are you doing? Wanted to drive on the opposite side of the road because of traffic, but if I got pulled over by the police, it's gonna take even longer to get there. Felt like doing a handbrake turn into the hospital, a part where the ambulances were. I threw open the doors and I was like, it's an emergency. And we, you were queuing politely. I then parked the car in the 10-minute bay like a good person. And uh, Grace went in and was queuing politely for our son to be seen. I was like, I'm not having any of this, mate. It's a 30-year-old bloke there. It's not an emergency for you, but it is for a one-and-a-half-year-old child. So we got to the front, and he's fine. But the story was, as I was praying, I wasn't praying this regimented thing. 
I wasn't going through in my mind this, you know, because I was thinking about, oh, I'm going to be speaking on the Lord's Prayer. So I wasn't praying, oh, Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I was praying, God, what is going on? Will you please, please, please help my son here? Can you please just help us? What's going on? I don't know, but I'm just going to trust you. Jesus is pointing to something deeper in the Lord's Prayer. He's given us a model of what a prayer looks like, but it's explaining to us what God is like. And this is the most important thing. For those who don't know how to pray or don't like praying, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. End of prayer. No edition from Chronicles. Doesn't make it into your Bible in that point. That's a later edition that the church has thrown in. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this morning, if you're going, well, what is prayer? How do I pray? What, you know, what have I learned today? It's not Acts. It's not an acronym. It's this. God is your dad. That's what I want you to take away from this morning. If you forget absolutely everything else I tell you, that's the one thing. God is my Father. Because I think everything else in this Lord's Prayer finds its meaning in the fact that God is our Father. The starting point of the prayer that Jesus brings is reorientating his entire life, and for us, our entire life, around that truth that God is your dad. That if you're a child of the King, if you're a Christian this morning, then God is your Father. Because loads of people pray, don't they? Loads of people pray to other gods or there's other world religions. Or in times of trouble, you'll see, oh, Prince has died. Rest in peace. I'm praying for his family. But you don't even believe in God. So what does that mean? It means nothing. We have to know who we're praying to in order for our prayer to be effective, right? We have to know God's our Father. And that's the point of the Lord's Prayer. The more you know a good father... And notice the word I've put there is good. The easier it is to get to know them. The more you know them, the more time you spend, the easier it is to talk to them. As you know they're a good father, you'll talk more, you'll communicate more with them. We need to know this morning that God's our dad. And that's how Jesus starts the prayer. Our father in heaven, Abba in Aramaic, the everyday language of Jesus, the language that the children of Jesus' day would use to describe their own dads. Father. And he alone, Jesus, is the son of God, isn't he? We're not technically, I wasn't the son of God. I've, I've not come down from heaven to earth and saved everyone. I was born of a woman. But he says, crowd, disciples, all those who are listening, even thousands of years later, he says, our father. He doesn't just say father, he says our father. It's for all of us who profess Christ as our Lord, which means he's our father too, the intimate warmth of having a father that we can communicate with. And the more we get to know him, the easier it will be. The more we know our father, the less scary prayer is. Because the more we trust him, the more we know he's good, the more we know he's reliable. I'll just give you a way of illustrating this. Let's say a child's been abandoned 
which is a horrible thing. And they're thrown into an orphanage and they're just waiting to be adopted. And one day a father comes along and says, oh, child, you're going to come home with me. I'm going to be your dad. I'm going to love you like you've never been loved before. I'm never going to let you down. I was going to go into a bit of Rick Astley there. <laughs> that would have been bad, wouldn't it? Never going to let you down. <clears throat> that kind of thing. I'll love you like you've never been loved. No matter what you do, I can't love you any less. No matter what you do, I won't love you anymore. You can't earn my love. My love is freely given to you. And guess what? You're going to come and you're going to be become part of a bigger family with brothers and sisters. You won't be alone. And I'll protect you. And I'll walk with you. And I'll guide you. And I'll show you the way. I'll never leave you. I'll cherish you. I'll care for you. I'll never betray you. I'll never abandon you. So the child comes home and they'll be loved. Now that kid who's just been adopted, would they talk to their new father? Would they talk to their dad? Now they would, wouldn't they? But at first they might be a bit tentative. They might be a bit worried. Well, is this guy really trustworthy? Is he all he says he is? I've been let down before, I've been hurt before. So they start small. They start in small conversations. But the more time the child spends with the father, the more they realize, my dad loves me. My dad cares for me. My dad does protect me. My dad keeps his word. My dad is reliable. And so they start talking about more important matters, not just trivial things. And it's not that the child, it's not because the dad's been pushy and forcing conversation and forcing relationship, but the child has seen something in the father. The child has gotten to know the father and so trusts the father because he sees the father's heart. He sees that the father is for him, loves him, wants him. That's what it means for us to have a father. If you want to learn how to pray, do not, whatever you do, look at religious people. That's not, Jesus would say that. Don't do it. That's not a model of prayer. Don't copy their example. We have a father in whom it should be natural for us to communicate with. You want to know what prayer looks like? Look at children who are adored by their father. Find a good dad with children who are adored by the good dad and look at the way the child interacts with that father. It's what prayer should look like. It's a bit different, isn't it? But that's what prayer should look like a dependence, a, a trust in our Father. And I think prayer, I'm not sure it's something that's taught. I think it's something that's caught. I'll explain what I mean. I think it's something like, if I brought my daughter Evangeline, who's four years old, and I sat her down every morning and said, sweetheart, you need to pray like this, and, repeat, and get her to repeat some words. Sure, she'd learn some words, but there's a bit of a disconnect going on there. But if she sees me praying... If she sees me, well, she won't see me if I've shut the door on in my room, but she knows I'm in there and I'm praying. And she knows I talk to my father. She catches that. Just like worship. If you want your kids to worship and grow up worshiping the Lord, then you worship the Lord too. Set an example of what it looks like to worship Jesus. To switch the TV off and not talk about football, but to talk about the Lord. To enjoy Jesus. Stick on a worship CD at home and dance in your living room. I do that because it's the only place that's okay for me to dance. Because otherwise it just offends people's eyes. 
but let children see how authentic you are before your God. Let them see you have a relationship with them. Let them see that you talk to your father. And they'll learn to pray because they catch it. And when you see a child who is adored by their dad and you think that's kind of what a prayer relationship should look like, times it by infinity. Because God is perfect. He's a perfect father, whereas anyone who is a man is not. Anyone who is a dad is not a perfect father. But I can clue you in, this is something I've learned uh, in my short time of being a, an earthly father, is that children approach their dad or their mum all the time, right? I mean, I even do it now to my dad. Whenever I ring him, he says one of two things. He says, where are you walking because you're bored? And that's why you phoned me. And what do you want? I said, no, Dad, I just wanted to enjoy listening to your voice. Which completely froze him, and then I say, oh, actually, I'm here to phone you about this. But children approach their father all the time. Now, if they're a good dad, if there's a loving relationship, they do it without apprehension. They're not scared about approaching dad. They're not worried about approaching their father. They're not thinking, oh, if I ask this, am I going to get in trouble? They just approach their father. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I go here? My favorite, which is at the moment is probably, what, every two or three minutes on a car journey? It is infuriating, but, you know, lovingly say no. Are we there yet? I thought that was just a joke thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. Are we there yet, Daddy? No, I'll tell you when we're there, sweetheart. Okay. Are we there yet, Daddy? No, we're still not there. We're still not there. Daddy, that man's in your parking space. Daddy, so-and-so, daddy this, daddy that, daddy, can I have this, can I have that? All the time. You know, our children as well, they know if something is safe. Oh, if daddy's going there, it must be all right. If daddy's leading me, if daddy's before me, then it must be okay. Children interact with their father. And they just ask. Evangeline doesn't come up to me in this really formal, ritualistic thing every morning, you know, and say, dear father, I'd like to ask if you permit me to have that fine-looking ice cream. She doesn't do that. She goes, oh, daddy, there's some ice cream there. Yeah, good observation skills, kid. That's as far as it's going. <laughs> Not having any. There's this giant, have you seen it in town? There's like the outside Thorntons, they've got a big ice cream. Every time, there's ice cream there ice cream in that shop not having any but children learn don't they through talking to their father if it's a good father my dad loves me my dad cares for me my dad is there for me anything I need anything I desire I can ask daddy how do I count up to 20 oh let me show you daddy how do I do this maths where does this person live who is that person can I have this can I have that now, a good parent doesn't always say yes either, do they? Just as our father doesn't always say yes, just because we ask for something, just because we're praying and we're talking to him, doesn't mean he's going to say yes. A good parent doesn't always say yes. My daughter has started swimming. She's getting pretty good, I think. She's got rid of the noodle now, and she can actually do a bit of swimming without the armbands. The problem is she's a bit like me. It's gone to her head. She thinks she's Ian Thorpe. She thinks she's brilliant. Michael Phelps, but without the drugs. That's what she thinks as she's in the pool. 
So she doesn't wait now for her swimming teacher to say, right, we'll take the armbands off and we'll swim together, which is what she should do. She just jumps off the side with nothing on and just sinks. It's like, so she gets out of the water and says, Daddy, are you proud of me? Did I do well? And it's like, well, you did do well, but you really need to stop swimming <laughs> unaided without permission to do so. Why? Because it's dangerous. Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes it's in our interest, even though we can't see it. She can't see that. But a good father sometimes says no, or sometimes says, well, maybe, or says later, or not right now. But a, a, a child should know with their father they can still ask. Even if the answer's no, they can still ask. I can still trust my father and what they have to say. So if you want to pray, you want to learn how to pray, you want to see what prayer looks like, I really do believe that you look for children who are adored by their fathers. Good fathers and their children adore their father too. And that is the relationship dynamic. Not that it's juvenile, but there's such a dependence upon their own father. And before we bring anything to God, because so often, just like I did when my son was going to hospital, we jump to like, emergency button don't we we jump to the this is what I need right now we should be bringing our hearts to our father we shouldn't just be just as I hope and pray my children won't use me as a, a vending machine because they're not going to get very far <laughs> it's about that relationship isn't it it's about that investment together spending time and that's what my daughter wants from me she doesn't want stuff I don't believe she might express it that she wants things I think she wants my time I think she wants to play a game with me I think she wants to go and cycle outside play football outside to create memories to spend time you know what I really think we need to put down our smartphones and that applies to me as well you know, Christmas for me this last year was, you look around the room and every single one member of my family is behind a screen of some description. Put them away. What's the memories of children going to be? Oh, dad wants to be looking at his Facebook more than spending time with me. What does that communicate to the next generation? We say, oh, youth of today and the youth of tomorrow. What are we communicating? We've got to take responsibility. We've got to show what it looks like to have a relationship and to give our attention. Because just as a child wants their father's attention, they want to know their dad, they want to treasure, just as I want to treasure my children. Surely we just want to treasure God, right? To just be in his presence. When was the last time you prayed and just said, God, I just want to be in your presence? Without saying, God, I need this, God, I need that, God, where are you? And just said, God, I love you. Lord, I want to be with you. I want your time. I want to be in your presence. When was the last time, if ever, that we did that? That's what prayer looks like. Time with our Father. Just to know him. And what I love about the Lord's Prayer is Jesus tells us what kind of Father we have. You know, if we're a bit misunderstood, we're saying, oh, it's great, one thing saying he's father, but what kind of father is it that we're coming to? That's what I think the Lord's Prayer tells us. He says, he's first is holy. God is love. God is just. God is grace. God is all those good things. 
but he's holy. And more than any other attribute in the scriptures, God is described as holy. Which tells you something, doesn't it? Tells you he's holy. Tells you it's important. Tells you it matters. It means he's different to us. He's set apart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what it means. Glory to you. You're holy. You're set apart. You're different. That God's name would be treated with honor and awe and reverence. He's not like me. You know, I blow like the wind. We all do. One day I'm having a great day. Next day I'm having a terrible day. One day I'm a liar. Next day I tell the truth. One day I'm a thief. Next day I'm not. You know, we, all, we do it, don't we? We blow like the wind. We're not dependable. God is different. He's not like that. He's a holy father. He's authentic. He's true. He's perfect. He's unchanging. He's reliable. You see, if you're a dad here, you do your best, but some of us actually don't have good dads. Some of us don't have dads at all. But actually, it's okay because our Heavenly Father is actually not like us. He's perfect. Where our earthly fathers let us down, our Heavenly Father never does. Where your earthly father makes mistakes, your Heavenly Father never does. It's good news. God's not like us. That's good. I know that you might find that offensive, but that's really good. Because I know you and you know me. Which means he's the father to the fatherless. He's a hope for those that don't have good dads. That they can have the ultimate father. And when you see a good earthly dad with their kids, we're just getting a glimpse. Just a glimpse of what it looks like. He's holy. He's a king is the next bit. Go back to that lovely illustration about the adopted kid. You know, he's come from nowhere and then all of a sudden he's been adopted by the father, part of the family. His beautiful image. Well, what happens if that father also happens to be the king? That's going to hold some benefits for that child, right? Daughter of the king, son of the king. Brilliant. Well, guess what? Our God's the king of kings. Our God's the Lord of lords. Our God's the king over your workplace. Our God's the king over your family. Our God's the king over your school and your exams. That's our father. The king of the universe. The creator of everything. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's you're a king and you have a kingdom. Father, show me that kingdom. Another way of praying that would be the end prayer of Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Would you return? So that we can see your kingdom. So that we can be home. So that we don't have to cry anymore. So that there are no more orphans. That the poor are provided for. That everything that's wrong is set right. Father, show me your kingdom. It's a great prayer. God, show me your heart. Help me to look upon people as you look upon people. That we'd see a measure of your kingdom. It's both now and in the future. We want Jesus to return, right? Yeah? Well, I do. Don't sound too enthusiastic. I'm really excited. But also, I want to see a glimpse of the kingdom now. I want to see the kingdom extended and expanded in Chesterfield now. I want to see blind eyes opened. I want to see people that don't know Jesus set free. 
So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, when we're asking God for just glimpses of his kingdom, we can be the answer to that prayer. We can be the hands, we can be the feet. We can be people that are a blessing to our workplace, loving the unlovable, being salt and light. That is your mission. That is what you are put on the earth for, to take God to the dark places. And when you're in those places, your father is the king. Your father is the king. And there is a a supernatural battle in the spiritual realm, but your father is the victorious king that conquers sin, death, and hell and conquers it and vanquishes it. He's your king. Jesus goes on. I think it's not just a case of getting a bit of bread and food in our tummy, but our God, our Father, is a generous Father. He's not stingy. He's not tight. He loves to give his children good things. He loves to bless us. And our problem, I don't think, for us in this room anyway, at least, isn't isn't give us today our daily bread. It's actually that we have too much. It's gluttony. That actually we, we have so much that we should learn to be generous like our Father who's generous in giving away more and more. And we don't give and our hearts are stony because our life revolves around ourselves. We don't live to add value to others. But again, we can be the answer. For some people, there is a genuine need for finance. There is a genuine need for food on the table. There are kids who need adopting. We can be the answer. Can't we? We can be generous just as our father is generous. The question is, how is your generosity Now, I'm not looking for an answer because that defeats the object. But just ask yourself, am I generous with my money? Am I generous with my time? Am I generous with my stuff? Because you have a father who is generous, who gives freely, not so we can hoard. We have too much, but so that we can be a blessing to other people. You know, we just live for ourselves, don't we, all the time. What happens if we started to add value to the lives of others? We're always about, oh, let's do something meaningful with our life. Let's make my life count. Well, it's not in having stuff. It's not even in having experiences. Oh, I've gone here. I've been to this country. I've, I've done this with my time. I've bungee jumped. Great. Good for you. That's cool. But that's not what meaning is. Meaning is knowing Jesus. Meaning is extending the kingdom of God. Meaning is giving away. Being generous with what we have. It's about knowing him. Our father is generous. So when we go to him, we can depend on him. He will give us what we need. He won't necessarily give you what you want. But he gives us what we need. And he loves to hear from us. He loves to hear our hearts cry. Just as, even though it's annoying, in one sense that my daughters say, you know, in the car, she's saying, we're there yet, we're like, I love it. I still like it because she wants to know. She wants to talk to me. She wants a relationship with her father. Sure, she wants to get to the destination as well. But she wants to know. She wants engagement. 
We need to remember that our Father forgives sins. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. I love the word debts there. Some versions, some of your translations, it might say sins. Some might say trespasses. Never knew what that meant when I was in school and you had to say it. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. It makes sense. I'm indebted to God. I've grieved him. He's got a line up against me. Because I've sinned, I've fallen short, I've rebelled against him, I've made mistakes, I've let him down. I've let myself down, but I've let God down, I've let other people down. I'm in rebellion. And I don't deserve mercy and grace. But it says here, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We have a generous father that means if we turn around and we repent of our sin, he forgives us. He gives us a new life, he gives us a future, he gives us hope, even as we speak If we turn around, he clears our debt. And we know he's cleared our debt because he gave his son. Jesus came to clear your debt upon the cross. That's how you know that whatever you've done, your debt can be wiped clean. Because Jesus has stepped into the breach and paid the price for you. So that... You can have relationship with him so that you can talk to him, so that you can know him and enjoy him forever. That's how much of a forgiving father he is. The lengths he's gone to that you might be able to talk to him. And then we turn around and say, well, I don't know what to pray. He's your father. Talk to him like you would a father. About anything and everything. And then he says... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Like, oh, thanks for throwing that one in, Jesus. Thanks for putting that one before my eyes. And even as I say that, you will think of people. People will flash into your mind or into your heart. Those people that maybe you haven't forgiven or those people that have hurt you. That person? Does Jesus mean that person? Really? Because if he knew what they'd done to me. Really? Yes. And we have a choice, don't we? We've talked about this a lot, but forgiveness or bitterness. Because actually, once we see the forgiveness, once we appreciate, I believe, the enormity of the forgiveness of God for the offense we've caused him, we should be able to forgive others, right? No matter what they've done, no matter how grave their crime against us, Our crime against God is greater, and yet he forgives us, right? That's what Jesus is saying. You're forgiven, so forgive. Your heart is set free, so don't hold grudges against people. Forgive them. Don't minimize it, and don't minimize the offense that you cause other people. We are offensive, aren't we? (laughs) Because we do make mistakes, We do things we shouldn't. We say things we shouldn't. Let's not pretend that we're awesome and we've got it all together. Let's not belittle our offensiveness because actually it sent Jesus to the cross. But let's remember we're forgiven. That that doesn't primarily, that isn't our primary identity anymore as offensive. No, it's set free. A child who can relate to their father. Jesus came for us, so don't let other stuff stand in the way. If we're the forgiven by a forgiving father, we should be forgiving children. 
And just a note on that, and I'd love to explain this at some point, or maybe we'd do another sermon on what actually forgiving your forgiving people looks like, because it's quite complex, isn't it? Um, there's lots of nuances. It's all well and good me saying, oh, yes, well, you just forgive them because you've been forgiven. But actually, it's hard, isn't it? It, it doesn't make that easy. But there are other things in there as well. You know, it doesn't mean we're approving of sinful behavior by forgiving them. It doesn't mean we're saying that what was done was right. Because sometimes we can feel like that. Sometimes we feel like, oh, well, it must be okay then, their behavior, if we're forgiving them. That's not what forgiveness looks like. It doesn't mean we trust that person again. You know, if someone's beaten you up and you forgive them, it doesn't mean put yourself in a situation where they can beat you up again. That's not what forgiveness looks like. It doesn't mean we have to be super best mates with them either. Reconciliation works two ways, doesn't it? If I want to be reconciled to someone, I do as much as I can from my point of view. But some people, some people just don't want to be reconciled to you. I don't know why I'm looking at my wife. They just, it just doesn't, they just want war. But Paul says, so long as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. As long as it depends on you. Which means forgive them. And you know what, as well, there's a bit of a myth, I think, here. We seem to think that forgiveness means we forget. I don't think that's true. You know, forgive and forget. If you can show me that in the Bible, I'd be really impressed. Now, God says he does remember their sin no more. But that doesn't mean he forgets. God's not forgetful. He hasn't forgotten. He sent his son. It cost him, <laughs> it cost him a lot. We don't just forget. God hasn't lost the plot, but what it means is that God chooses not to interact with you based on your sin. He chooses not to interact with you as that person because he's given Jesus for us. So for you, for the aggressor, the thief, the bully, the one who's hurt you, forgiveness is hard, but you have to choose not to interact with them based on how they've oppressed you. But to love them. Not as the bully, but as whatever their name is. Forgiveness doesn't mean we forget, because it's a hard thing. But it's the path we have to take. Otherwise, we end up bitter, twisted, miserable. I don't want to grow up. Grow up? What am I talking about? I don't want to grow older. Funny man. He's here all week. Laurie Fletcher. I don't want to be bitter, twisted, miserable. I'm going to laugh and have joy because it's good. We've been shown grace, so we show grace. And finally, our Father leads well. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, to clarify, you could read that in a couple of ways, couldn't you? You could read that in a quite unhelpful way, which is actually not what Jesus is trying to say. James 1.3 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
So it can't possibly mean that God is going to lead us into temptation. That can't possibly mean what Jesus means because it would contradict Scripture. It would be a contradiction. So it can't possibly mean that. So rather, actually, it's more like this. We realize that this world is not always butterflies and rainbows. That it's sinful. That it's messed up. That there's darkness. That there's hard times. The world is full of sin and full of challenge for us to negotiate, isn't it? As we walk the narrow path. It's not a straight path. It's, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Trying to keep on the path and know which way to go. And the request is this, Father, help me to walk the right way. Father, lead me home. Father, go before me. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me the right way. Lead me the good way, the honorable way. Because the enemy, that's not the person that you need to forgive. That's Satan and his hordes of demons. That's the enemy. Want nothing more than to derail you. Because you're part of the father's family. Because you're a child of the king. He wants nothing more than to swipe away your relationship with him. So I want you with this line to picture a child grabbing the hand of their dad. You know when me and Evangelina are in a crowd, or you go to London and you're on the tube, she grabs my hand, and she grabs it so tight. Because she can't see. She doesn't know the way to go. She doesn't know if it's safe. But as long as I've got my daddy's hand, as long as I'm with my father, I'm safe. He's going to lead me well. He's going to see the things that I can't see. He's going to guide me even when it's darkness all around. And she trusts me to guide her, protect her. So she doesn't need to be stressed. She doesn't need to scream. She doesn't need to throw a tantrum, thankfully. And I pray that continues. (laughs) Because she can choose to let her father lead. And we can do that too. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be screaming. We don't need to be worrying. We can take our father's hand. And he'll lead us well. And he'll protect us. And he'll show us. Even when we can't see, we say, God, I'm lost. God, I need you. God, I need your help. Show me the way. Take me by the hand. Lead me. We need to pray, don't we, that the Lord's Prayer, the way that we pray, the way we interact with our Father is not just some sort of formula, but it's an authentic relationship between a child and their father. That's how you pray. You talk to your dad. That's it. And I think that's what the Lord's Prayer is there for. I don't think it's there to recite, although great when we do. It's not a bad thing. I think it's there so we know he's our dad. And so we know what kind of dad we're talking to. A generous father, a loving father, a father who forgives you, a father who will take you by the hand so that when you talk to him, you know what he's like. You know you can depend on him. You know you can give him your heart. And he's never going to let you down. He's never going to abandon you because he gave his son so that you can be part of your family. So prayer, how to do it, where to do it. Don't have any tips. Talk to your dad. See, I think we overcomplicate it. Talk to your dad.